Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Gather, grow, and go. Week number two, we are looking at pictures of the early church to learn what we're supposed to do as a church when we come together and when we grow in Christ together and when we're sent out together. And last week we had Pastor Eric Bancroft from Grace Church in Miami Shores did a fantastic job talking about advancing the gospel together. Wonderful job. And today our topic is going to be committed to community, the church in fellowship. And that, uh, that, that word is important for us, fellowship, because we are New City Okay, y'all pay attention. That's good. That's good. If you didn't know, I was going to say we need to go to something a little bit more simple. But at least you know the name of the church, New City Fellowship. And if you've been in church for a while, you know uh, you know that word. But what it's tentament is coffee and donuts, like a, a time of relationship building. And that's not wrong, but it's much more than that. Uh, more than just having a little relational space, fellowship means participating as a family together. together, It's more like being in a group of people that are part of a movement greater than themselves. It's more than just relational space. It's being on mission as a family. And if we're going to grow in being New City Church, that works too, but we do church or fellowship, we are going to have to learn what it means to be in community together. We're going to have to learn what it means to be a fellowship. We're going to be in Acts 2 today, and if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and Vaughn or Dan will bring one around to you. But a little bit about where we are when we look at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus has gone to the cross. He's died for the sins of the world. He's been put in the tomb for three days. After three days, he rose from the dead. He spends 40 days teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, and then he ascends up to heaven. And at this point, there's about 120 of his followers. That's it, 120 followers, and they stay in Jerusalem, and they pray. They pray. And the Spirit of God is sent from heaven for the first time ever to fill believers fully. And as the Spirit descends on them, they begin speaking in languages that they do not know. And all the other Jews who were gathered in Jerusalem say, now, wait a minute, Uh, I'm from another part of the world, and I speak this language, but how did these guys know that language from another part of the world? And Peter, seeing the opportunity to preach the gospel, stands up and says, listen, everybody, here's what's happening. These people are followers of Jesus, and they have received the Holy Spirit of God. And all of God's purposes are coming to fulfillment through Jesus Christ who died for the sins of the world and was raised from the dead. And then Peter says to them, Peter himself a Jew, says to these Jews, remember though, remember when Jesus died that it was you all who demanded that he be put to death. And at that moment, that crowd realizing that God is doing something, that he's done something through Jesus, and that they were the ones who cheered crucify him, well, let's read it from the text and see what happens. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to have Becky come up, and she's going to read Acts 2, 37 through 47. Lord Jesus, we still need your spirit 
to help us with the word, that we might be changed by it, that we might see the love of Christ through it, and that we might be drawn to love our brothers and sisters more. In your name we pray, amen. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly encouraged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of God. Several years ago, when my wife were, and I were part of the church in St. Louis, there was a, a couple in the church who decided to get licensed to be foster parents. And they went through all the training. It's several months long. And then after they went through the training, they had a social worker come and look in their home to see if they could be approved as a foster care home. And they were. And after they were approved, though, they had to wait. And they had to wait for the phone call. Uh, for a child who needed a place to stay while the parents got back on their feet. And one day they did get a phone call, and a little girl came to stay with them in their home. And I was just amazed, first of all, that this family would commit to something like this because, uh, first of all, the husband was in graduate school, so it's not like they had a lot of time or money. And then secondly, they had a small little apartment, so it wasn't like they had a lot of space, but they really wanted to help. They really wanted to help a child. They wanted to help a family. And so they took this little girl into their home. But what was even more amazing was the small group of Christians that they walked with in our church. Because once they took this little girl into their home, their small group from church began showing up. They showed up with meals. They showed up to spend time with their kids and take them to do fun things while the family got adjusted to another child in the home. And they even showed up to clean their house like do their dishes and scrub their bathroom and things like that. And it was a really beautiful picture of a commitment to a community. In fact, the whole church kind of found it compelling that this couple would welcome this little girl into their home, and then the small group from church would surround this family and really serve them and help them during this time. It was an awesome picture of sacrificial love, and I found it, really compelling. But can I be honest with you? Can I be honest with you for a minute? As I thought about the commitment that that would take to surround that family, I found myself compelled and also very glad that someone else was doing it besides me. I'm just being honest. 
because community takes commitment. And I wouldn't mind spending time with their kids, but I have a hard enough time doing our own dishes without getting queasy. I don't know if you guys have seen this. When you bring the dishes out to the kids, they're nice and clean. And when they go back to the sink, it looks like a pack of dogs has surrounded the table. And as I thought about doing that for them or scrubbing their bathroom, part of me was very hesitant about making the commitment to them. Because community takes commitment. I think as we think about community, we we know that it will be messy, and we have hesitancy. And I'm going to ask you to be honest with that in your own heart because I've been honest with you about that. I think there's something about community that we think is beautiful. It's compelling when people are committed to one another in love. And yet when we begin to weigh the costs, we're a little bit hesitant. We're a little bit hesitant. There's something in us that wants to be part of community, participating in something greater than ourselves with people who are different than ourselves. And yet at the same time, we have a hesitancy, an anxiety, maybe even a fear about being committed to a particular group of people. We like the idea, we're hesitant about the reality. Well, there's a lot of good reasons to be hesitant. Some of you, as we talk about church community, some of you have had bad experiences with church. And thinking about going deeper in a commitment to a particular group of people, why would you put yourself through that again after you've already tried it? And so some of us don't enter into community because we've had a bad church experience. Some of us, though, it's about the anxiety of being known. Like if we get close enough to people and they find out who we really are, will they accept us or will they reject us? And so we are anxious about getting committed in a community because we don't want to be known. And sometimes it's just like for me, the burden of commitment. Life is easier when I have my freedoms, when I can make the decisions about what I do with my time. Once I commit, my time is no longer my own. And so we are afraid of community. And sometimes life is just busy. Sometimes work, sometimes children, sometimes family, sometimes school keeps us busy and we feel like we can't commit. And as we think about our lives, our goals and our progress, aren't they the most important thing? Isn't reaching the next level in our life the most important thing? Or is it? Is there something more important? Whatever your reasons are, I want you to bring those to this story today as we look at the first Christian community in Acts chapter 2. It's quite an amazing story. I don't know if you caught it, but there were 120 Christians who were meeting to pray. And after the Spirit comes and Peter preaches, there's now 3,000 more Christians. What that means is for every one Christian, there's now 25 more. So all of a sudden, the early church has exploded in growth. And in verse 42, it tells us this beautiful picture of what they did. First of all, it says that they devoted themselves. That word devoted simply means committed. It means that they persevered in something even when it became hard. It wasn't just a fad that they did while they were excited about it. They were devoted and committed to 
the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. An apostle was someone who had been with Jesus from the time of his baptism to the time of his ascension. We learned this one chapter earlier in Acts chapter 1. It was someone who had seen Jesus' ministry, who had heard his teaching, who had touched his resurrected body, and had been with him during the entire time. And Paul was an irregular apostle because he was not there during the ministry of Jesus. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. But the other apostles were there during this time, and they were sent by Jesus because they had been with Jesus to teach about Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 28, the passage we call the Great Commission, Jesus comes near to these brothers and says, All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. And so the apostles had this job of telling people who Jesus is, what he had done, and what he commanded them to do. And the first Christian community devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles about Jesus. And that's important for us to understand because part of being a committed community member as a Christian is being devoted to the teaching of the apostles about Jesus Christ. All of us need hot tips on having good relationships. All of us want to know how to find joy and hope in life. All of us need to be discipled in how we use our money. We all need that. Yet at the very center of that is who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he commands us to do. And if we focus on the relationships and the joy and the money without seeing that the apostles' teaching was centered on Jesus Christ, we miss the point. So there are a lot of great YouTube clips and Instagram stories where you can see preaching clips and you'll be inspired and encouraged and they have nothing to do with Jesus. So use discernment because part of what this early church was called to do was focus on the apostles' teaching, which was always about who Jesus was, what he had done, and what he commanded them to do. In verse 42, notice they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It doesn't say that each person devoted himself or herself in their personal time. I'm sure they did that, but that's not what the text says. What the text is saying is that they devoted themselves together to the apostles' teaching about Jesus. In other words, they came together as a gathered group to receive instruction from the apostles about who Jesus was, what he had done, and what he had commanded them to do. And that's helpful for us because God's truth is really meant to be experienced in community because as we hear from the scriptures about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he he commands us to do, we need each other. We need perspectives beyond ourselves to see deeper into what Jesus commands us to do. I might miss something without you present near me as we understand who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's commanded us to do. And God's truth is meant to shape us not just as individuals, but us together as a community. Which is why one of our core values here at New City Fellowship is simply rooted in the word. We want to be rooted in the apostles' teaching about who Jesus is. 
Well, this first church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, but they were also devoted to the fellowship. As we said in the beginning, the fellowship's not really a time and a place. It's a family participating together as a people on mission. Participating together. You know, one of the most frequent commands by Jesus and by the Apostle Paul has to do with this phrase, one another. The phrase one another is repeated over and over in the New Testament, both in the teachings of Jesus and in the letters. You've heard it before, love, honor, build up, accept. And we live in a culture where we look at community as something that we can consume from rather than contribute to. We look at community and go, what can I get out of it that will advance my life? Whereas the first Christians viewed community as something to contribute to, a fellowship where they could practice the one another's. And the reason that Christian community is different than anything else is because Christian community is started by Jesus who came to earth not going, what can I get, but what can I give? I'm not here to make my life better. I'm here to give my life away to save you into eternal life. So the fellowship is the very place where we practice being Christians, where we serve one another and we forgive one another and we be patient with one another and we look to the interests of each other and we show hospitality to one another. In fact, the fellowship is so central to being a Christian, you're really not practicing Christianity unless you're connected to a fellowship somewhere. And by that, I don't mean New City Fellowship. I mean a body of believers that you can practice the one another's among, where you can stir up one another and you can clothe yourself with humility before one another and you can pray for one another and confess your sins to one another. Now, I know that that is not easy. But the power of Jesus is present among us as we do those things because those are the very things he commands us to do. Which is one of the reasons that we also devote ourselves to the breaking of bread. Now, we like to eat. Amen? And what this probably means is some sort of meal that overlaps with communion, the Lord's Supper. So it's not just a feast, it's a spiritual meal that is a sign of Jesus' presence with his people. We believe that the Lord's Supper isn't just a memorial that we replay the death of Christ in our head. We actually believe that through it, he is empowering us and encouraging us to live another day as Christians together. Because when that body is broken, you're reminded in your soul, Jesus' body was broken for me. And when you drink that cup, you're reminded in your spirit, and you're encouraged in your spirit. Jesus' blood really was for the forgiveness of my sins. He's present with us, empowering us. Our sins really are forgiven. We really are united in him. And so the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Now, I know the slide says, and to prayer. But in the original language, it actually says, and to the prayers. In other words, it's talking about a body of preformed prayers that were recited together by the fellowship. There was a structure to these prayers. They were memorable. 
they were probably from the Psalms and the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. And I think that's helpful for us to understand because a lot of times we do preformed prayers here at New City. And spontaneous prayer is amazing as well. We do that as well. But there's something that we are learning even as we say the Lord's Prayer together, as we say the prayers. All this really points to that this community, this early church devoted, is devoted and committed together to Jesus. They're devoted and committed together to Jesus. They're connected. They're proactive. They're purposeful about what they do. And I love that because it's so different than our cultural moment. These people were connected to one another for a purpose. And we look around at our culture, and we often have pressure around connection. How many of you feel a pressure to have an opinion on everything, a pressure to stay connected to everyone on social media, and you're just forced to react to the next thing that happens? In fact, the 24-hour news cycle can be grueling, can it not? Just trying to keep up with it. And we live in a culture that is exhausted, in a time where anxiety and depression are at an all-time high, and where relational connections are absolutely toxic. And yet I love the simplicity of this early church simply saying, we are going to devote ourselves together as a community committed to Jesus, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. They had a purpose to be something different. And their world was no less volatile than ours. There was oppression. There was political divisions. People were divided. And yet I wonder what would happen to us if we made a practice of these things, if we proactively made these things our priority. I wonder if it would help us better together as a church navigate our current moment and be committed to Jesus together. Because what we see is not a community filled with anxiety, but a community filled with awe. Reverent amazement at the presence of Jesus among them. In verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. The apostles were doing miracles among the people to point to the presence of Jesus, to to point to the good news, to point to the Holy Spirit among them. And the signs and wonders, the miracles are not the point. Really, they point to something else, which is Jesus. Just like a wedding ring is a sign of something, it's not the marriage, but it points to the marriage. It points to the vows and the commitments that you've made with your spouse, Now, I believe God still does miracles because God is a supernatural being. But the author is careful to tell us that it is the apostles who are doing signs and wonders. It is those who have seen Jesus' ministry and heard his teaching and touched his resurrected body and were commissioned by him to be sent out into the world. Those are the ones doing signs and wonders to point to something that's not the signs and wonders. The signs and wonders are there to increase the interest in the gospel. Signs and wonders are not the point. They're pointing to the power of God being present among this little fellowship of people in Jerusalem. See, 
Jesus has shifted from the temple to the people being the presence of God. When the curtain was torn in two in the temple when Jesus died, the temple became obsolete. And the place where now God lives in power is not a building, but a people. A people in Jerusalem who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And that's ultimately because community is not just about our commitment to each other or our commitment to a Jesus, but about Jesus' commitment to us to be a people who have his presence in us together. And so when we talk about signs and wonders, we have to be careful because there's a lot of talk about signs and wonders today as if they are the point, as if God's pointing to the signs and wonders. But in reality, signs and wonders were meant to point to God. And I would encourage you to be careful. God is still a God of miracles, but all the apostles are now in heaven with Jesus. All the people who witnessed his ministry. And Jesus himself warns us that false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray many. So be careful. The point is the gospel, not the signs and wonders. And here it is. The greatest miracle isn't the signs and wonders. The greatest miracle is the Christian community who has been redeemed from their sins and has new life in Jesus Christ and has come together in learning to love one another as one family. That is the greater miracle of what Jesus is doing. In fact, Jesus is so committed to the church, to the fellowship, to the family, that if you want to be part of what Jesus is doing in the world, it's impossible to do that without being connected to other believers. Someone once said, the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. There is no plan B. Jesus is changing the world through the gospel, which he has given to the church. And now the church has failed miserably in many ways, but that does not waver Jesus' commitment to us as his people. See, it's not just about our commitment to community, but about Jesus' commitment to us as he lives in us together. As you and I are changed day by day to become more like Jesus, as we learn to love one another, He says, I am with you always. And here this early church is going to have a lot to go through. If you read Acts 3 and beyond, you'll see that this church in Acts 2 has not yet had to deal with cultural and socioeconomic barriers, but they will. This church has not yet had to cross ethnic lines, but they will. This church has not yet been persecuted, but they will be. And through all of that, Jesus remains committed to his people, the church, because Jesus is more committed to community than we ever are. See, our commitment to community really comes from Jesus' commitment to us as a community. But then that commitment that he has to us leads us to commit to each other even more. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. In verse 44 and 45, it says, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property 
and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this is not for socialism or communism. This is Jesus' commitment to his people and them going, if Jesus is committed to us, then I'm committed to you as well. I want to take care of you, and if I have something that could help you, then I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to use the proceeds for the benefit of you. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing to think about. We often think about church, about a fellowship as a community of individuals who are having some sort of spiritual experience together. But what this is saying is that the first church was really saying, I'm here for you. You're not going down because I'm going to step in and make sure that you don't. And they provided for each other. And they cared for each other. And they sacrificed for each other. Author Nancy Ortberg wrote about an experience that her daughter had. Her daughter went to church. And at this particular service that her daughter went to, she came home. And she was very moved by what she learned at church. And she came home and told her mom that she was going to pray this prayer. And the prayer was about Christian community. And she said, I learned tonight that if someone else in the Christian community is not okay, then I'm not okay. And her prayer was, Lord, help me to not be okay just because everything is okay with me. And Nancy was so blown away by the wisdom of her daughter that she took the prayer and put it up on her corkboard in her kitchen. And Nancy would later write, community is always we. It's always we. If someone else is not okay, then to some degree, I'm not okay. It's a beautiful picture. And I think what we have to say as the people of God is that we need to make sure that no one in our fellowship goes without food or clothing or shelter. Because if they're not okay, we're not okay. And the amazing thing about the early church is they didn't say we have to do this. They approach us as we get to do this for each other. We want to be committed to one another. And we want to be together. See, not only were they committed to care for one another, but they were committed to be together. And that's one of the very things that made the early church so attractive was they were always together. In verse 46 and 47, it says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. See, they they didn't just go to church and then go home and then see the same people the next week. They were together. In fact, it makes it appear that they like went to church not to see each other, but they went to church together and worshiped in the synagogue. And far from being drudgery, it was a great joy to be together. This first picture of the early church is a church together filled with joy. It's not an entertaining experience. It's not about passively sitting in a pew. It's about a family participating together. It's about a community committed to one another. That's one of the reasons why we do church membership. Uh, Church membership is simply this. I'm with you. I'm in. I could join any other church, but I'm saying I'm in with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you here. I'm going to take care of you, and I want you to take care of me. And we're going to be together. Now, I know that commitment like that is messy. 
and it's difficult, and it requires sacrifice. But here's the funny thing. Oftentimes, we are afraid to commit to community because we think that in giving ourselves away, we become less of who we want to be. Like as soon as I give myself away, my freedom's gone, and if my freedom's gone, then I don't get to be me. The irony is that the opposite is actually true. When we do not give ourselves away to others in love, we actually become less of who God wants us to be. We become less of ourselves. When we keep our freedoms, and rather than committing to other people in love, we don't become who God made us to be because God made us to be committed in community and to love sacrificially and to bear with each other and to be stretched by being with other people. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life, apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. Read this. I am not myself by myself. I'm not who God made to be when I'm alone, but only when being with you. Only when I'm committed to you do I really become who God made me to be. That may seem strange to you, but that is, in fact, God's perspective on your life. That is Jesus' perspective, that we're not who we are unless we're together. And so you might think that committing to something, like a Christian community, actually makes you less of who you're supposed to be, but the opposite is true. I am not myself by myself, and you're not yourself without everyone else. Now, I realize... Many of you have been through church hurt, and it's a struggle to put the toe back in the water. But let me encourage you. It's actually by being among another church where people love you that you actually find healing. And I say that from experience. In the early 2000s, I was coming out of a very broken church situation where the leadership was manipulative, and I was young and impressionable, and I walked away hurt. I didn't go to church on a regular basis for like six months. And then I got plugged in at another church, and the pastor really loved me, and the people really loved me, and they let me be a, a dumb, you know, a dumb kid <laughs> and say stupid things, and they forgave me. And after about six months to a year, I realized that I was still angry at that other church when my church currently was not like that. And after a while, I was like, why am I still angry about this church, and I don't even talk to the people anymore? And God has given me this wonderful church full of love and the truth of the gospel and the grace of God. And I just got over it. It was being in that new church community that I experienced healing. And then when Virginia and I started dating, she had gone through a very similar thing in another church. Manipulative leadership that was really hurtful. And she came out of that struggling. Hard to trust churches, hard to trust leaders, hard to trust pastors because of the hurt that she had experienced until we got plugged into another healthy church and we saw our pastors say they were sorry and we saw them be very vulnerable and open about their faults and all of a sudden the hurts kind of healed. And I think the same is true for you. We can waste time being angry and it's not that the hurt is not real. But your anger isn't going to change what happened. 
you could be missing out on the love that God has for you through the fellowship. So don't let church hurt keep you from stepping in and being committed. But also don't let a fear of being known keep you from stepping in and being committed. Because the truth is, all of us have that fear. I don't want you to go that far deep because once you see that deep into me, you're going to reject me. And some of us deal with that by retreating from the church. And some of us in the church are actually really extroverted and like always looking for people. And that itself can be a defense mechanism from keeping you from who I really am. And I say that to say we all have that fear. We all have that fear of of being known. We all have that fear that once you see who I am, you will reject me. But here's the reality. Every one of us is a broken sinner who needs grace from God and each other. Every one of us. And these 3,000 people in this text who become Christians, we jumped in when they were cut to the heart by Peter's sermon But what Peter has told them is they were the people who yelled, crucify him, when Jesus went to the cross. Peter said, though he he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Can you imagine this first Christian community? Here they are gathered after they've all become Christians. Hey, this is a weird question, but what was the sin that really convicted you that you were a sinner and you needed Jesus. I yelled crucify him. And I yelled it pretty loud. It's not just that Jesus died for me, Jesus died because of me. What about you? What was the sin that convicted you that you were a sinner and needed Jesus' grace? I'm right there too. When they offered up Barabbas or Jesus, I said, free Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Talk about a fear of being known. (laughs) I'm not sure there's a more convicting sin than being the ones who wanted Jesus to go to the cross. And maybe it's that honesty and that openness and that being known that actually binds them together as a community. Knowing that they need grace. What's worse yelling for Barabbas to be free or yelling crucify him. We are all broken people in need of grace. And we are the same. We are afraid of being known, but yet all of our sins are offensive to God, and yet all of our sins have been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. He knows us. He knows us deeper than any of us will know each other. And as you and I experience that being known and forgiven That's where Jesus' love actually comes to expression in us and through us. And what could be more important than that, than experiencing Jesus' love and his commitment to us as community? I I know that your life plans are busy. I know that your goals are important. I know that your schedule's full. But don't miss the opportunity to be part of a community that has been leveled by our sin and raised back up by the love of God in Jesus Christ for us. And it is that radical love expressed through our commitment to one another, through our commitment to community. See, it wasn't that the early church had a stage with lights and smoke that attracted people. It was the love. 
It was the fellowship. It was the togetherness that drew other people in. Look what verse 47 says as we end our sermon. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. As early, the early church displayed the love of God in Jesus, that is the very thing that God uses to grow their community. Let's not miss this opportunity to be a fellowship, to be committed to one another, to receive the love of Jesus Christ, and to display the love of Jesus Christ. As we end the sermon, I'm going to ask you to stand, and together with one voice, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.